You're listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. again to a brand new episode of Talk Daredevil, the Daredevil podcast brought to you by the Save Daredevil campaign. I'm Phyllis, and for today's discussion, I'm joined by Aisha. Hi there. And Shelby. Hey, guys. And we are going to continue on our latest series of Daredevil review episodes. Today, we are breaking down season two and sharing why we love it oh so very much. Um, If you listen to our season one pod already, we're going to be changing things up just a little bit today. Um, Instead of talking about our favorite episodic moments, we're going to talk a little bit more broadly about our favorite arcs and themes. Um, In other words, we couldn't decide on favorites, so this is how we're going to cheat our way (laughs) into talking about everything. (laughs) So on that note, let's jump in, you guys. All right. So um, how amazing this season was. The first time I watched it, I watched it right after season one. So I was very excited about what was going to happen next. And the first thing I noticed was, um, you know, just some article that read about this guy called Punisher who's going to show up on uh, season two. And um, I got to start with saying, how awesome is John Bernthal, right? He was amazing. Did, did you know John Bernthal, though? Yes, I, I, I was a huge Walking Dead fan. Mm-hmm. So okay, I okay. knew... I knew John Bernthal and I hated Shane Walsh. So I was coming in as a person who hated the character he played on The Walking Dead. And, you know, I was already a Matt fan after watching season one. And when I read about this dude who was going to, you know, mess things up for Matt. I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not really going to like this character. And especially the guy who played Shane Walsh. Nope. And then episode one, he shoots Matt in the head. I'm like, nope, nope, mm, bad guy. (laughs) Episode two, Matt wakes up, he loses his hearing and all that. Like, oh God, what a terrible person that is. (laughs) (laughs) And then we see that uh, scene at the pawn shop where Mm, you realize that, okay, there's more to this guy. He's, you know what? He's going after the bad people. And then episode three happened. You know, New York's finest. And I was just, my mind was blown by the dynamic between um, Daredevil and Punisher. And that is something I'm going to talk about a bit more in detail in this part. But what an amazing job. What The writing for these two characters and the way it was played on screen. It's some of my favorite moments. I mean, I think episode three is my favorite in the entire season. I love it. I mean, you and everyone else, really. <laughs> so True. Yeah. Can you imagine if they had been able to keep that a secret, though? Can you like the, the shock of seeing John Bernthal as the Punisher? Because I also was a Walking Dead fan. So I knew who John Bernthal was. And when I heard this, I was like, this is perfect. Perfect casting. And then, like you said, just the, the moment, the reveal, you know. Oh, he's, just, <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Everybody remembers that scene with like Shane in The Walking Dead where he's like shaving his head and you find out Uh what has happened (laughs) during that. Oh, oh my God. (sighs) Love John Bernthal. I think I knew who John Bernthal was. I didn't watch Walking Dead. So I don't actually think I had seen him 
in anything. Like he was one of those actors where like I knew who Deborah Ann Wolf was, but I've never I hadn't seen her in anything until Daredevil, right? So I knew that this was someone that people liked and he was like a good actor. Um, but yeah, he totally blew me away. They did an amazing job casting him as Frank Castle, like second to Charlie and Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. It could not have been more perfect. In some ways, I think John Bernthal might have been like the most perfect piece of casting as far as like mm-hmm. actor to character. Because for a lot of the other actors, even though they're very, very good and amazing, even it might not have been a, like a direct line from this actor to this character. But with John and Frank, though, it was always like, OK, yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, <laughs> Like look and feel and the the type of acting he does and the kind of roles that he usually that you usually see him in. Yeah, I really enjoyed so much of that. And, you know, just to kind of talk more broadly about season two as a whole, you know, I'm going to jump into like my first thing that I really liked about the season, which is really how the season itself was structured. I remember when I watched season one, I really loved the show, but I had issues with some of the pacing. I'm not going to go too much into it because honestly, I can't really like remember my specific issues because it's just been so long and I just love it so much. I have no objectivity about it anymore. You know, But I remember yeah. that first time I watched it, I, I did remember thinking, mm, I wish that had been done differently or I wish that had been paced differently. So when I got into season two, I remember thinking, wow, I really love how this season is paced so far. I love that they gave Frank his own four episode arc and then they gave Electra her own four episode arc. And then technically even like Fisk had a little mini arc after that. It just felt like the season moved along at a really good pace and the stories had room to breathe. And I know I've always said that one of the things I love about season two is just how comic booky it all is. Not just oh, because yes. we, oh my god, not yes. just because we get the Punisher, Elektra, um, technically Kingpin, all in a Daredevil show, which is like freaking amazing, you know. But those arcs feel like comic book arcs. It feels like Daredevil season two was its own run of Daredevil, and we got the Punisher arc, and we got the Elektra arc, and we got the Hand arc, you know. So all of those things really worked for me um, as a whole that season, and even the s- cinematography. Is very comic booky. Yes. Even the season opener, that scene, you know, that when you see the sky, New York skylines moving, and then mm-hmm. uh, you see uh, uh, Daredevil's helmet and the little horns, that is just out of the comic book pages. Yeah, yeah. I just love it so much. <laughs> That's all I can really say. Like, this is the season that. Rhiannon and I rented a hotel room Mm -hmm. in in a small little town in Georgia and watched like the whole thing and then turned around and started watching it again. (laughs) This is the season that I've spent probably the most time with. And I will just forever be in love with it. It's also the season where we went up to New York and got to see episodes, you know, got to see some of the filming going on. And it was Uh, some pretty big episodes. You know, we got we were up there for the cemetery episode we were up there amazing when um vincent d'onofrio shows up (gasps) really so this season will always yes like on my heart yeah we were sitting there and and we had already seen like john that day and this car pulls up and vincent gets out we're like oh (gasps) my god were you like totally because i'm going to talk about that later but i was completely surprised i had no idea that was coming i think it was one of those things we like bounced around because Normally, you know how the trailers are set up. You know, one is Charlie, two, blah, blah, blah. And they had these trailers set up and we couldn't really figure out. We, I think four at the time was John. 
So we knew that. Um, but we couldn't figure out the rest of them. And I think we were throwing around who it could be. Is it Electra? Oh, a Punisher Electra episode would be like fire. Um, and I don't think there was even any rumors that he was going to show up. No, that I mean, I think I I didn't I guess I technically didn't follow the news. Yeah, I, I, I didn't super, like super, spoilers. Super I'm not a big spoilery yeah. person. So but yeah, there was no no indication at all. Yeah. And when it happened, then you're saddled with this, like, what do I do with this information? <laughs> <laughs> like, I have this information and I can't tell anyone. <laughs> right, right. I can't, you know, so, but it was, so that's why this season will always, like, yeah, just probably be the one that holds the most part of my, like, heart. Um, and what I enjoyed about it is just that we get equal parts, what I feel like Matt and Daredevil in this season. Because right. of the struggle that Matt is going through, trying to keep trying to keep such control over both halves of his life, trying to have the perfect night with Karen like forever, and then the best time of his life with Electra because Electra knows who he is, mm-hmm. and it's just watching mm-hmm. all that spiral out yeah. of control. <laughs> I mean, I think you've said this before, Shelby. Like you just love when people come into Matt's life to like f it up, <laughs> and so yes, just don't mess things up. If you want that in a seat, this is the season for you. You know, if you like seeing Matt deal with those kinds of challenges, then this is perfection, really. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's so comic booky when you get the line about cell block D. That's oh, very yeah. comic booky. And mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, Marco, the, I love you, Marco. The gun, the gun taped to his hand. Um, yes. Yeah, there's just so many like nods and little. I mean, I didn't actually read the comics until after this season, so I I, I made that connection uh, later. But after I finished season two, I was like, okay, I have to read all the comics. So that was when I jumped into mm. the comics and like read everything, and it gave me even a deeper appreciation, I think, of um, how season two unfolded. And like you, Shelby, this season will always hold a very important spot in my heart. <laughs> Um, yeah. This is the season where I was pretty sure someone from Netflix would contact me and be like, "Are you okay? Because you're yes. watching this season again every day." Oh. Like I went through a period of my life where I had to watch uh, some of it every day. <laughs> there will never be a season of TV that I watch as much as I have watched Daredevil season two. I hear you. I hear. And and to our listeners, we know that this season can is probably the most divisive one of the three. And so as someone who loves the season deeply, I I do acknowledge um, its weaknesses. And if there's time, I might touch on those. But but yeah, it's just, you know, you can't help what you love. And I just I just love this one a lot. (laughs) So on that note, how about we jump into some specific themes or arcs that we really like? And I'm going to pass this back to you, Aisha, because I know you have a good one to start us out on. So my um, my the favorite part of. The season for me was the dynamic between Daredevil and Punisher throughout. I've had this conversation with our team member, Van, who's a huge Daredevil and Punisher fan. She was the one who, you know, introduced me to the comics after I'd watched season one and two. And after having watched this season multiple times, after many conversations, and I've come to realize that the relationship that you see for Daredevil and Punisher in this season, it's, you know, it's split in three phases. And the first phase you see is right up at the beginning when Frank kind of knows that Matt is not a bad person. He's a good guy, but he has, he doesn't have any respect for him at this point. Like, you know, in the beginning, he, he thinks he's ineffectual. He doesn't, the whole rooftop conversation that they're having and we watch, 
he thinks that um, Daredevil doesn't do enough and that he, he does not respect Matt, but he wants Matt to respect him. At this point, he's trying to convince him to get on his side. And he like keeps saying, you can bash all night, night around and the only way you're getting out is if uh, I let you out. Or later on, he says, the only way you're getting off this rooftop is if you grow some wings. And, you know, you know he calls Matt that he's, uh, he's a half measure. Things that uh, we've heard Stick say to him in the previous season. The kind of similar dynamic. And on both counts, we find that uh, Matt proves him wrong. Even by the end of episode three, he gets out of the chains. He, uh, <laughs> he doesn't have to grow wings. He could have parkoured his way off. But he, the only reason he stayed uh, and fought his way down is because he couldn't leave Frank behind. He basically saved his life, carried him down, then fought his way down, you know, the dogs of hell. And uh, whereas he could have run away himself and left Frank to die up there, but he didn't. So that's phase one where, you know, Frank realizes that, okay, maybe he's not as ineffectual a thought as he was. And then the second phase is in episode three when, you know, Frank is uh, kidnapped by the, the Irish and then Matt goes and rescues him. And then they have this conversation, that amazing conversation at the cemetery where Frank is, admits that you could have made a hell of a Marine. You know, that's, that's a huge compliment. And he's coming to this realization that, okay, Daredevil, maybe he's an equal. In fact, he opens up to Daredevil at that point when he tells him about his children, about how he lost his family. And he even admits that, you know, I was so tired, I couldn't even take my wife to bed. I mean, who admits that? Like a tough guy like Frank. And he opens up to Matt. And then we see, again, this relationship evolve throughout the season, through the trial of the century, which Frank is the one who implodes. (laughs) And then uh, episode 11 at the boat where um, technically Frank stops Matt from crossing the line. When Matt is ready to take that step and say, okay, yeah, maybe my way doesn't work. Maybe we'll try it your way. And he makes the sign of the cross and Frank just looks at him and he goes, what are you talking about? If you cross the line, that's not, that's not it. You can never come back. And then he pushes him off the boat into the water and basically he gets him out of that situation. He doesn't want him to take that step. So we, we see this evolution that Frank thinks Matt is beneath him to the second stage where he thinks he's equal to him. And maybe in the boat scene, he thinks he's a better person who deserves to be saved. I just love this, you know, dynamic, the way it evolves. Yeah, I like the way, too, that Karen fits in with this uh, Matt-Frank relationship. Because Karen is off, you know, thrown, having to do her own thing. She wants to dig a little deeper, find out why, you know, who, what, when, where, breaking into the Punisher's house. But there's always these scenes between Matt and Karen where they they keep going back to the vigilante argument. You know, Karen is forcing Matt to like, but really, you know, like, what what's the difference here? You know, and maybe we created him. And, you know, Matt does not want to hear that. What do you mean? <laughs> Daredevil doesn't kill people, you know, and, and but Karen is like, you know, but Frank is stopping people from being killed. If we have more Franks, do we need e- do we need even daredevils if we have Franks around? I like that. And then you got the whole uh, Karen and Frank at the diner after the trial. The, the whole love conversation and Frank's twisted view of love to Karen. Oh, so <laughs> twisted. 
I really like that scene, especially that conversation that Frank has with Karen, because Karen at this point, you know, he thinks like he's in that frame of mind that Matt is the most terrible person ever, right? She Because she <laughs> feels he's light to her. And she's telling this to Frank. And Frank is like, lady, are you out of your mind? I believe that he has realized who uh, Daredevil is, who Matt is. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you guys. Do you, do you think he knows at the trial when Matt says Frank? He knows. I think he knows at the trial when Matt says Frank. Can I call you Frank? And that pause is yeah. very significant. That's what I think, too. And Frank gives him this disbelieving look. I'm like, are you for real? And then he almost looks sorry when he right before he starts screaming mm-hmm. and imploding and destroying that case <laughs> he almost gives him a sorry look you know that expression <laughs> on his face is yeah i can't believe yeah i'm fixing to do this yeah. to you i'm fixing yeah. to, mm-hmm. right so so i think he he knows who matt is at that point and basically um that conversation in the diner I always take it as frank telling karen to hold on to him come on he's a good guy you gotta hold on yeah, to he's, he's a good, this guy. good guy and we we saw this Ka- you know and then poor karen poor karen is there though like you don't lie to me frank he does he's the kind of man that like hurts people and whereas frank is right there <laughs> sitting there using his her as bait for <laughs> god's sake like he matt would never do that love that I, I love Karen's arc through the whole season, too, especially now that we know her backstory. You know, there was something driving Karen that we really didn't quite understand. And I always felt bad for Karen because even in season one and season two, she kind of gets left hung out on her own. Mm-hmm. But she just moves forward and she just goes after it and gets at the truth. I mean, to be honest, I feel like um, all of the main characters, so Matt, obviously, but Frank, Electra, Karen, Foggy, everyone had a very complete journey on this season i think the what a lot of people focus on is um matt karen and foggy obviously have a lot of difficulties and conflicts in their like core relationship and obviously matt gets distracted by frank and electra at different points and karen kind of also goes off on her her own journey with frank and and then foggy gets left behind and but they get to all develop as their own people i think and that's kind of what i like about how this season worked out that they didn't necessarily, you don't need Matt and Foggy and Karen to all be like happy in order to have compelling stories for all of them. I like the way the conflicts help drive them forward. Because like Foggy would have never, he would have never come into his own as a lawyer if things didn't go shit sideways with Matt <laughs> in the trial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and confrontation is the most fun part of watching this, right? Because, well, yeah. I'm all for Matt and Foggy being happy, but that is not what drives the story, right? Not always. You need confrontation, and that's why some of my favorite parts of um, every season is when Matt and Foggy have, you know, uh, an argument. And in episode two, when uh, Matt wakes up after fa- Foggy basically found him and rescued him from that rooftop, and he wakes up and Foggy tries to take away his suit and that argument that he has, I loved it. Also and then very the- <laughs> comic booky. Yes. Yes, and the- very. Right. And was it episode, <laughs> episode seven was the one where Matt and Foggy have that After argument. After Electra has the- like messed up his life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. They have that argument in the courthouse bathroom and I loved it. I mean, it hurts as a fan to watch it. To watch when they everything is derailing and they're like 
angry at each other, but the dynamic. I mean, that's Eldon and Charlie so are so good. good. I mean, yeah. they're amazing. And they they're should just, be. Foggy should be mad. You know, I totally understand where he's coming from, and I agree because yes, Matt has been dropping the ball, right, on this the case. Trial of the century. <laughs> right. But at the same time, Matt, I've always felt that, you know, Matt knows things and has to get involved in things that Foggy knows nothing about. And he does not listen to Matt when he has something. But I know Matt also does not tell him at the right time. He always tells him after things have happened. Well, because Matt believes that he's protecting them. Right, right. And so, uh, you know, but lying, Foggy being But Matt, lying through omission is still lying. So I get, I get what Foggy... Yeah, even if it's for their own good, it is still lying and Foggy's every right to be angry. Uh, so those those scenes are also some of my favorites. Conflict is beautiful. It is. So yeah, I mean, this whole conversation is making me think of another theme that we wanted to talk about, which is the struggle Matt has this entire season with both sides of his life, the, the Matt Murdock life and the Daredevil life. And that's a core theme of the season overall is how he balances out being a lawyer and being a vigilante and how those things then affect his relationships with all the people that are featured in the season. So Aisha, how about you get us started? Charlie has talked about how much he enjoyed playing these scenes, right? As an actor, it must have been so much fun to play that conflict of, you know, Matt struggling with the two halves of his life. I've, I know I mentioned this before, but it's Fans, it was painful to see all the crap happening, how Matt kept making mistakes, very human mistakes, but there were often things only he could help with. Yet he never caught a break during the whole season. And, and everyone kept blaming him for everything, including Foggy and Karen, especially Foggy, uh, who had every right to be mad at him, but he refused to see his point of view at any point. He kept blaming him for creating the problems, but that was not always true. Matt didn't create the hand. And we see this continue in Defenders as well, right? Um, Karen said the same thing. He, she blamed him for the hand when it was not his. Like, he <laughs> did not create it. And his closest friends kept blaming him for being the cause of everything that went wrong. And you always saw that Matt stayed quiet. He accepted that blame because I think in a way he did blame himself. Whenever anything goes wrong, you know, he always blames himself. He would never blame anyone else. That always hurt as a Matt fan, but it was so beautiful to see. And you, you, anytime Charlie talks about it, he has talked about how much he enjoyed those, especially those middle episodes in this season when Matt could not get a hold of, you know, anything. He was just messing everything up and he just kept um, screwing his relationships with everybody in his life. And it was very much enjoyable. He, he enjoyed playing those scenes. I mean, you could just feel the way he was stretched to the limit. As a fan, it's like painful. But as someone who enjoys good television it's great because there's like so much for him as a character to like chew on and deliver to us and just that whole arc of him in the beginning of the season i think we we touched on that it, it opens in such a superhero-y way he's kicking ass he's he's um they're, they're shooting he's catching pool. the bad guys yeah. he he loves it he's like this is great this is like my life they're getting I love paid it. in bananas it's fine <laughs> 
And then Frank it's comes great. in and he's like, no, it's not fun. And Electra comes in and Matt's like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, maybe I, I can't do this. You know, and I'm going to talk about this later. But, you know, Electra ends up being a scapegoat for Matt's struggles through a lot of that part of the season. Um, it's so nice to, as you touched on with the Frank and Matt dynamic, um, seeing him get to the point at the end of the season where he actually accepts his vigilante side. Because I think that Matt as a character is very good at compartmentalizing um, his life to obviously a very unhealthy extent. I think that was the whole thrust of this season is that it's very unhealthy (laughs) to pretend like those sides don't affect each other. You cannot ignore the fact that there is something extremely um, hypocritical (laughs) about being a lawyer by day and dishing out your own form of justice, which is what Electra was getting at. She's like, I'm just doing things the way that you do them. And he's yeah. like, what do you what do you mean? And she's like, dude, <laughs> you know, you, take if you can't, what you want at night. <laughs> yeah, you take what you want at night. And he's like, what? <laughs> he just doesn't have that realization at all. I mean, he's still at a pretty tough spot at the end of the season. And obviously he just goes through harder stuff until <laughs> the end of season three. But I think that sets up a part of him that can finally like start reconciling. I think that's why he does go to Karen and finally comes clean about his identity and, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, that whole journey, the back and forth, but him coming to the conclusion that being Daredevil is important to me. I can't just pretend like that this isn't also as important a part of my life as me being Matt Murdock, the lawyer and best friend and I, I love the yeah. moment in at the end of episode five when you when you get through with the care devil date and it's uh, you're like, oh, so pretty. And, you know, I just want to have this one perfect night. And then he starts walking. He's back on the street. Oh, and he, those you lights. Know, Brilliant direction. Yeah. And he, so he can hear everything. And, you know, he's wondering, like, I, I don't want to go see what Electra's up to. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to go do that. I don't want to have to. I'm Matt Murdock right now. Damn it. Don't in, don't intrude on Matt Murdock's life. And then he, like, loosens his tie and he, like, pops his Grits neck his and he's like, no. Yeah. yeah. Like, this clenches his jaw. This is what I got to go do. I can't not do this. And he goes to Electra. Because that is Matt Murdock's life. You know, that That is, yes, the fluffy, um, you know, normal everyday stuff is not Matt Murdock's life. That's the fake part. So his soul is really in Daredevil. And anytime he's tried to give it up, it has not worked. And you can't talk about the conflict between Matt's sides, between Matt's two sides of his life without talking about the Matt and Electra relationship and dynamic and so if you don't know me by now (laughs) i am one of the few very vocal advocates of this relationship and dynamic and i'm gonna take my like two minutes to like talk about why i love them so much but not you know i'm gonna try to be well let's just talk about when she shows up think about the moment that she shows (laughs) up she shows up right right when matt thinks he's got everything under control it's brilliant. He's really. like, just put the just put the Punisher away. He's about to get the girl. He's about to have it all. He doesn't even notice she's in the apartment when he first like walks in. Oh, the hello, Matthew was. Mm. Yeah. People complain about how, uh, you know, Electra just brought so much like trouble and brought so much conflict. You know, I like to think that Electra did not bring out anything that Matt wasn't already dealing with. So she basically forced him to confront 
a lot of issues that he hadn't bothered really thinking about or confronting. You know, the timing was very poor. <laughs> um, yes, but it was something that he needed to work through. But what I love about Electra and the presence that she brought to this season is that she got to let us see Matt in a way that we hadn't seen him on the show before. You know, so getting a chance to like see more of his like college days and to see what kind of person he was before he became a vigilante, before he took up this mantle, that was fantastic. Personality wise, I think because he's an existing character in the comics, we knew that there were certain parts of his personality that maybe hadn't really been on the show before. Like Matt has um, a sense of humor that doesn't always really get delved into because things are usually so dark and a little depressing and controlled he's just so controlled contro yeah he's so controlled and that, that's a great term like he is always in so much control to the point of like this guy is gonna break any moment he's just so stubborn mm -hmm. that he doesn't allow himself to and Electra's like nope <laughs> you know she pushes every single button and it's just fantastic. Now, I hated how she was a convenient scapegoat, not just for him, but for the audience as well. If anything went wrong, it was like, ah, it's her fault, you know. But no, you know, I think she needed to be that foil for him in that moment. You know, Frank played a certain kind of foil to Matt in his journey of discovery, and Electra played a very necessary foil to Matt in this, like, second stage of his journey. And that whole episode six, that was just such a favorite of mine overall. Because I love the way they set up this contrast. Like you have these really grim Frank Castle scenes, right? It's super serious. And then you have Matt <laughs> at a party <laughs> with Electra. <laughs> and knowing he cannot say no to her, like he gets in his car and acts like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not. And you, he's fully undressing the whole time. Like, we're <laughs> You can't make me do this as he unbuttons his shirt. <laughs> but there's just like the contrast. So like, I didn't know that Matt Murdock could kind of have some fun and like that I could yes. see him not in a courtroom or not on a rooftop in Hell's Kitchen in a costume. So I just love the idea like, oh, we get to see Matt dealing with crime in a different way. It's almost like that moment in season one where he goes to Vanessa's art gallery and he's flirting exactly. with her. That was a really fun moment for me in that season because I was like, oh, Matt is doing something a little different. And so in season two, getting that whole episode of him doing something very different, pretend to be something, someone else to lie, to kind of like cheat his way through, um, to see more of his skills him being able to do all these things with his senses that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, he gets to use the Matt Murdock persona. Right. Like he gets to use right. that part of his personality. I just don't think we would have gotten that otherwise. And so that's, you know, a, another big reason why I really liked her presence there and their journey overall. You know, it's it started out very antagonistic and kind of still was antagonistic for most of it. But there's that moment in episode seven, which is kind of in the middle of the Electra arc, where they just got into another fight with the Yakuza and um, Electra's injured. So they go back to Matt's apartment and Matt's stitching her up and Ugh. bless those writers. They put them in their underwear. And <laughs> <laughs> they're joking. They're having fun. Electra knows him. This is someone, again, who actually knows who Matt is. You know, we're not having to learn about him through a a character who's also learning about him at the same time, because that's kind of what you get with Karen. Like, Karen's still trying to figure him out. 
Electra knows who he is. Matt knows who Electra is. There is that already existing level of comfort because, you know, they were lovers back in college. And so, you know, when she's joking about like, well, what do you say to the woman, you know, that you bring home? And Matt's like, you know, laughing it off. But then they have that conversation where you just see you get that payoff from the flashbacks. Matt's asking Electra, where did you go? Where did you go? Yeah. (laughs) One moment they're like beating Sweeney to a pulp and he turns around and she's gone. And that's the last time he sees her. You can understand Matt as someone who has a lot of abandonment issues, you know, how much that would have really messed with him at that time and how much he hadn't had closure from that. And you see Electra really for the first time since we had met her actually being honest and vulnerable and opening herself up to him and just being like, you know, you deserve better. Um, And you just see how much that weighs on her because we are also kind of used to Electra Um, purposely pushing his buttons. And, you know, she just doesn't, she's not doing any of that. She doesn't do any of that the next day either, at least not until after (laughs) the next part of the trial. But, you know, I think that we needed that. And and then we get, we get some more of those moments too. In episode eight, we get another kind of humanizing conversation after Electra's injured in that fight with the hand. And they, they hash out the whole fact that she lied to him, that the whole thing was a ruse, but that she did love him. Um, And Matt trying to make his case Try to do it my way. Try to do it the good way, you know. And this is where you get the sense that, you know, Electra is not just your run-of-the-mill, like, bad guy. Elodie Young has talked about this. She, like, she doesn't really believe Electra is a true sociopath. But she's somebody who has that weakness in her. She's not capable of just fully being bad. And Matt is a weakness. Um, her, her desire to be loved and her desire to maybe do something good is a weakness, you know. So... Yeah, I mean, Elodie has talked about this, that a true sociopath would not have a weakness like Matt. You know, she wouldn't give a shit, but she does give a shit about Matt. So that he's, uh, he's always been her true love. And um, yeah, it's not, I don't think she's a 100% sociopath. She has been written with some of those tendencies, but yeah. And Elodie has done such a great job. Like, she's she's, she's amazing. Job. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I did appreciate that they tried to give her a backstory <laughs> near the end of the season. I think when they finally figured out what they were doing with the black sky, which, oh, eh. um, <laughs> but just to to put that back into the greater context of the electric character, you know, she was raised as a child soldier in what essentially was an extremist, a group of extremists. You know, she like the chase is technically good on the side of good, at least in this fight between the chase and the hand. But it's that's not a that's not a um, an ideal way to raise a child. And so when you see the person that Electra grows up to be as an adult, like you can't be too surprised if Stick was her father figure and the chaste was her family. You know, granted, she did have the benefit of being adopted out to like a rich family, but her mission was always to be working for the chaste, even as a child. I just think that there's a lot more going there and I would love in the future if we got some kind of follow-up to her story because i think she deserves oh my it God, I think she wouldn't deserves that be great that. wouldn't that be because in the end think about it too think about it that Electra couldn't leave matt either you know when matt at the end is fighting the hand he's like i'm going to go save those people she didn't turn her back on matt yeah so that's my <laughs> i'm gonna step off of my soapbox <laughs> so we can talk about other things but thank it you for it was a good soapbox <laughs> 
<laughs> so good, though. There's so much in this season. It's so good. And next on our list of things that we loved about this season, the season two costume upgrade. Ah, uh, the season two costume. <laughs> okay, so the season one, the costume reveal at the end of season one was amazing. But I love the improvements that they brought to this, you know, in season two when uh, Melvin makes him a new set after, you know, his helmet is damaged because Frank shot Matt in the head. And the new helmet, and, and it is beautiful, isn't it? It's so beautiful. <laughs> it fits him so well, the whole, the, and the new, um, the sticks that they make, uh, what, what, it, what are they called? I'm sorry. The Billy, Billy Club, yeah. Ah, the mm-hmm. Billy Clubs. <laughs> And especially the ones, the new, the, the improved ones that uh, Melvin makes for him later on when he goes there with Electra, and Electra goes, oh, where's mine? And, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I only had one. <laughs> and then Matt goes, oh, don't listen to her. <laughs> that is such a cute scene. Uh, I, I, love, I love those improvements. I love the new costume. Season two, I think it's great. It is, um, you know, the fans who... Follow the comic, they'll always have complaints about the costume. But I think that, you know, season two uh, gave us a costume which was as close as it could be to the comics. And at the same time, it was very realistic. So um, I really love it. I just love that they came up with a good in-story way to replace his helmet. Yeah, yeah. Because I know it was like such a big deal to unveil the costume at the end of season one. And, but it was like, you know, oh, we could definitely make some improvements. And I do remember when I was rewatching this season for this podcast, I I had a, like an audible sigh of relief when they switched. <laughs> the the helmet, the, 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 yeah, yeah. Because there's yes. just something aesthetically like just not doesn't work about that season the first one. one. Helmet. So once the season two and the, the, the lines. It, very it's, sleek. Yeah. It's very sleek. It fit his face, highlighted all the right things. Very, very good. Very good upgrade. Yeah, so we just we need to say thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Frank. <laughs> For shooting Matt. Frank was like... Shooting mm. Matt in the head. <laughs> you could do better. You could do you better, really, one. I love it when, when, when Melvin... Melvin's like, you really got your bell rung. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or talk about, talk about getting your bell rung. Yeah, and I guess that's the, um, when I was thinking about watching the season, I was like, oh, it's, it's so great seeing him in costume because it has been a while since I had seen him in costume and using all his tools. Because then I was thinking, I was thinking, why don't I remember him using his billy clubs this much? And it's because season three, he wasn't using any of that stuff. I would I would love to see what that next iteration of Matt's costume would be and what upgrades he might have to uh, his tools, because it, it is in its own, you know, I'm not going to open the debate about the black suit versus the red suit, but... No, no, but this this is probably the closest we get to, like, seeing Matt fly around the city right, with, this, with right. the grappling, with the grappling club. club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I don't want to open the debate about the no. black <laughs> costume and the red costume, but because there are things we like about both of them, right? Yes, yes. The, the aesthetics about the black are great, but um, the red one gives him protection. So, yeah. hey, I want to Matt to be protected. I don't want him to be slashed and, you know, maimed after every fight. So Yeah. Well, okay, sorry. Side note, that's what annoyed me so much about the Electra costume. Like even the one in the finale, God, put some sleeves on her. <laughs> right. Girl keeps getting slashed on her shoulders. Like, have we not learned? So uh, the costume provides very necessary protection. So it, it does 
make me feel better when Matt is wearing his costume. Like when he was fighting the hand ninja in his home, I was like, oh my gosh, he's in a suit. He's going to get cut up. Like, please, God, give him some, you know, he was just lucky enough that he beat the kid. But uh, yeah. What? You didn't think the coffee table was enough protection? (laughs) 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 That poor coffee table. That poor coffee table. I know. (laughs) It's gone through a lot. (laughs) So I'll just go to my last point. And then if you guys think of anything else you want to wrap up on, just give a shout. Um, The last theme from my list or arc or however you want to call it that I really enjoyed from this season was Fisk's surprise inclusion in like episode nine and ten. So I know we talked about how Shelby kind of got a sneak peek when she was watching the filming. You know, one of the few people who knew this was coming. But as I said, I was completely surprised. I had no idea this was supposed to be in the season at all. They did a very good job keeping it under wraps. When I was making my notes about this episode and how much I liked having the Frank arc and the Electra arc, that's when I realized, you know, we also got a little mini Kingpin arc. We got that meeting between Fisk and Frank and then another meeting between Fisk and Matt. And and if we're going to talk about the comic booky nature of that, of both of those meetings, like. I just got chills. I just got chills thinking about it. Chills, major (laughs) chills. And I thought it was, you know. It was just brilliant, um, a brilliant way to use him in this season. You know, we already had a full season of Fisk in season one, so you don't want to like overdo it. Um, so it was like the perfect bridge in retrospect between season one Fisk and season three Fisk. I think that if they hadn't done that in this season, it would have been would have been maybe harder to set him up the way that he was set up in season three. Um, and it would have just been a loss, I think, for the season overall. So I like I know we've, we talk about, oh, this is the season of the unholy trinity you get frank uh daredevil and electra but really you get frank electra fisk and daredevil so you get four key key daredevil i mean including daredevil you get three other very key daredevil um characters and honestly if one day we get all of them and and bullseye in one season oh and my God. Mary, i would die i would die <laughs> but anyway back to fisk <laughs> Back to Fisk. I mean, you guys, please let me know what you thought about those confrontations more specifically. But I just think oh, the way both God. of those were done were just perfect. I just, I love that this is something, again, that he has to do as Matt Murdock. Right, right. You know, like, it, and, and he's in there and he's trying to be this, like, controlled. And when, when he finally pushed, because he knows that's what he's got to do. He's got to push the buttons to get the answers that he wants, to get the confirmation. And then when Fisk busts out of those restraints and slams his head and Matt can't resist that one little lick that Matt gets in. One punch. You know, because, yeah. you know, he wants to like and he can't. They're just brilliant. They're, they're so to me, they're, this was an Emmy award winning season. Like the performances. When Aisha was talking about the cemetery scene. I'm like, that's his, I mean, I'm sure it was, it was submitted as his Emmy, but that was, he so should have been nominated. John Bernthal should have been nominated for that. Vincent D'Onofrio totally should have been nominated for uh, Outstanding Guest Actor for that little role that he plays in the middle of the season. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so good. And then Matt leaves. Matt is so shook when he leaves. What I love about that confrontation is that it ties in directly to what everything that's coming in season three. Yes, like after yes, watching yes, yes. season three, you know, all the things, all the buttons that he pushed, the Vanessa button and all the things, that, because this thing is very personal to both Matt and Fisk. As much as Foggy and Karen, it is personal to them as well. Yes. 
But to Matt, he has to do the thing that he does in the season and in season three as well. Why, you know, in season three, why he tells Maggie that uh, it's not their fight. No one else's fight. It is my fight. Because it is personal to him. And, um, you know, Charlie's talked about, but like he didn't have to uh, act in this scene because when Vincent grabbed him <laughs> by the throat and he's like he holding him so tight he could barely breathe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it and and how much he learned from Vincent in that scene because Vincent really is brilliant and he's uh, such a wonderful actor and such a great casting for this character. So I just I mean, this is one scene that I've always watched behind a, um, a cushion. Like I always have like a pillow in right, front of me right. and I'm hiding behind a pillow when I watch this because I'm, <laughs> I'm terrified from Matt. I know exactly what is coming, but every time I watch it, I'm terrified because even though I know how it ends, it's like he could have been killed. Yeah, right. Because yeah. he could not fight back. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have uh, given up his secret. And even though he did hold back, Fisk kind of knew something was going on because he opened up his file afterwards. Yeah, and that's when you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way they seeded those things in for the future, it was really, really good. And I mean, I think we got that payoff and and more in season three. Um, Any other thoughts or honorable mentions or just closing um, remarks that we'd love to give this season before we wrap up? Frank, why don't you come two minutes earlier? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Frank, why did you spend those trying. two minutes looking for a really cool, like, jacket? He had to make his to... best, okay? <laughs> he had to find spray paint. I, I will say he, that the first that was one, one of... He scrapped the first one. He was like, no, that doesn't look like a skull. You can do better. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that was one of my disappointments from the season is that I felt like the marketing um, was playing up the Punisher, Electra, and Daredevil showing up together in a scene. Oh, yeah. 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 We never paid off on that. Like, literally, Electra dies and then the Punisher shows up. But in retrospect, watching this season, like, Frank and Electra are just so fire that I don't think the season could have handled it. If they were, yeah. no, if they were no. That's true. Uh, Matt, Matt certainly would not have been able to handle it. <laughs> so, so perhaps it was for the best. But maybe in the future, maybe in the future we'll get that. The Matt and Claire scenes. Oh yeah, the few Matt right. and Claire scenes. I really love those because Claire is the one person who tells him things as they are. You know, she's not scared of uh, telling him the truth, even if it hurts. And he listens to her, even if he does not always take her advice, he at least hears her out. So it was nice that she was there. It was nice that she was there. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much more that we can talk about, but we are officially out of time. So I think that's a good spot to leave it on. I mean, again, we love this season (laughs) so much. I think if you haven't watched it in a while, it really is worth a rewatch. Um... If you're a Frank fan, the, he is in every episode of the season. I know some of the I know some of the fans out there like to focus on those first four episodes, but you see your boy Frank the whole way through, and he has a lot of good moments the whole way through. So, I think some people could use a little refresher. So go and enjoy the comic book fun of Daredevil season two. It's just glorious. <laughs> Let us know what you thought about season two. You know, we'd love to hear your takes on it. Um, Watch the fight scenes, the sterile fight scene, the Punisher. Um, See how many favorite moments you can come up with, because I have about 30. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Only 30? 
Oh well, you. I, that was me trying to narrow it down. Oh, from a hundred. Yes, she narrowed it down to thirty from a hundred. Um, but yeah, so you know, if you are not already um, subscribed to us, please do. You know, you can find our podcasts really wherever you listen to podcasts. If you do uh, listen to our podcasts on our YouTube channel, you know, you can always subscribe and comment there. Um, we are on social media at Renew Daredevil on Twitter and Save Daredevil everywhere else. And so we always love to hear thoughts and your comments and your feedback. So definitely get in touch and let us know what you think. We are going to keep reviewing more seasons. Our next episode is going to be about the Defenders and when Whoa! we will be wrapping it up with Daredevil season three. Uh, thank you guys for for taking some time out of your day to talk about this, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Heck yes. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. For more information on Save Daredevil, please visit our website at savedaredevil.com. Remember, Murdoch's always get back up.